Let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 25, and we're ready to finish up this chapter reading verses 29 to 34. So if you want to navigate to Genesis 25 and verses 29 to 34. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Very interesting passage here. There's a commentary, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, that that has a comment on this particular event, and I'd like to read it. And the comment goes like this. Sadly, things of great spiritual value are often handled in profound or crafty ways. Some people treat spiritual and eternal things with contempt, for they see them as of no value. And others, though regarding such things highly, make the higher cause serve themselves through craft and manipulation. Esau and Jacob are examples of both types. And I believe that's an accurate description of what we have here. And so let's consider exactly what's going on here. The Holy Spirit recorded it for a reason. There's some interesting events that go on with his family, and they, they only get more interesting as we continue through the book of Genesis. But they're recorded for us for, for a reason, and the Holy Spirit has lessons for us to learn. First of all, we need to understand what the birthright was. Most of you are familiar with it, but for those who may not be, the birthright is the right to inherit the headship of the family, and also with a double portion. And the, the, the privilege that comes with that is the, the continuation of the lineage of your father, and you become the head of the household and with all the responsibilities of caring for the, the family, but also all the benefits, uh, the inheritance, and the riches that, that come with it. And in this case, that birthright included all of the spiritual blessings that were to come through Abraham. And so, it had to do with the very entrance of the Savior into the human race. So it's more than just getting a double portion. The one who had the birthright to the family was now going to become responsible for the entrance of the Savior into the human race. So this, this had spiritual and eternal values, this birthright. And Jacob is to be commended because he understood it and valued it. He wanted it. He, he understood the importance of it. And as we'll continue, I believe it wasn't just the, the material blessings that come with it or the power or the prestige, but he seemed to value the promises that were made to Abraham and that he wanted that. He wanted to participate in that. And so for that reason, it, it, he's to be commended. He valued those spiritual and eternal truths and blessings. But Esau didn't. It was, it was contemptible to him. It had no value to him whatsoever. He was hungry. He thought he was going to die. Now, 
I doubt he was really on the verge of death, but he, as an outdoor hunter, and he'd probably been on a long hunt and probably was unsuccessful that particular trip. He, he was normally very good and skillful in his hunting, but sometimes it just it's just not there. And, of course, the Lord has his hand in all of that. But he came back from that trip empty-handed and weary and hungry, and that stew of lentils was more valuable to him than all of these things that were to come through the birthright, the blessings of God. Esau allowed his appetite to dictate his choices, and that happens so often with certainly the world, but even with God's people. The unsaved person is like Esau in that they reject the grace of God and see that it has no value whatsoever. Why, why would I want that? I've got other things I need to, to satisfy my hunger. The world treats the blessings of God, the grace of God, with contempt. But sadly, many Christians also make the same choices that Esau made. They don't fully understand the value of what they have inherited, what is theirs by their, the, their very birth as a Christian, the new birth. And many follow in the steps of Esau, and they despise the full provision. Now, now they're saved, and they have eternal life. They're children of God. They have a home in heaven. They will certainly have an inheritance in heaven. But the Bible talks about a full reward and about a complete inheritance and an amplified inheritance, an increased inheritance. And many Christians don't even value that and what, what's involved in in entering into that. And so they are like Esau in, in, in that aspect. But let's go to Philippians 3, a familiar passage. Of course, we know Paul's desires here. But let's compare that to Esau and the value that he put on his birthright. But let's see what Paul expresses to be his greatest desire in life, what he values as important. In Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11, every time we come to this passage, we need to remind ourselves so we don't just read over these things, but remember that Paul was highly educated. Paul was a man that was religious, moral. He had power and he had prestige. He could go around and he had the authority to beat up Christians, throw them in prison, and even kill them. So he had power. He had authority. He could do pretty much whatever he wanted before he came to know Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. But here in Philippians 3, 7 to 11, after he got saved, we see his value system changes completely. But what things were gained to me, those I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, or out from among the dead. So we need to ask ourselves, are we more like Esau, or are we more like Paul? What is it that we value in life? Do we value the, 
spiritual and eternal things that we have in Christ? And do we value the opportunity we have to gain Christ as our bridegroom, to sit in the throne with him? Those are eternal blessings. That's eternal glory, wealth, and riches. Do we value that, or do we value what the, this life can offer us? Again, Paul had what, the li- what this life can offer, power, prestige, money, education. He had it all, but he looked at that, and he considered it to be garbage. That's just garbage compared to what Christ offers me if I will just surrender my will to his will. The birthright was preordained to be given to Jacob. And so now we have to deal with Jacob. He's commended for valuing the birthright, but how he got it was not directed of the Lord. It was not of faith. It was not necessary for him to scheme. This is what we'll notice about Jacob's process in learning to live by faith. He was naturally a schemer. He, he knew this was God's blessing, and it was his greatest blessing. I want that for me, and so I'm going to get it. But God had already preordained that Jacob was to receive the birthright. God did not need Jacob to come up with a plan. God already had a plan. The schemes that Jacob comes up with through this early process in his learning to live by faith caused a lot of trouble with his family, certainly with Esau. And then that would go from Esau's descendants to Jacob's descendants. And carnal scheming always leads to scars and destruction. I've known many Christians and preachers that try to manipulate people. Now, their, their thinking is good. They want the will of God for you. That's good. I want the will of God for you. But I've known a lot of Christians, including preachers, that will try to manipulate you even to the point of lying to you in order to try to get you to do or to be where they want you to be in order to hear what you, they want you to hear. They try to manipulate things to make the will of God happen. That's not God's ways. He doesn't need us to scheme. He needs us to pray. He needs us to be sensitive to the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit, but he does not need our craftiness. Jacob had to learn that, and he's going to learn it, but God's people need to learn that as well. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, when talking about those carnal means like lying and deceit and manipulation. In 2 Corinthians 10, and again, when, when I... When I'm talking about this, I'm talking about using those carnal means to try to gain spiritual advantage. That's what Jacob did, and sometimes Christians do that. But Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6, For though we walk in the flesh, that is, we live in these bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't use those carnal ways of getting things done. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. God is able to do the work, but he doesn't need our carnal means of getting it done. So that means we have to call upon him in prayer. We have to learn to be led of the Holy Spirit. 
when to say what to say. And it's the Holy Spirit will never lead you to lie. Never. God is the source of truth, but he'll give you the wisdom what to say and how to say it in order for you to enter into God's best and also to to lead others into God's best. We'll see later on that Jacob does learn to totally depend on God. He's going to have to go through a lot of pain first. But we can learn this lesson from Jacob's life before we ever have to suffer the pain. If we'll just learn, I am fully dependent on the Lord. I don't know how to do the will of God or to accomplish the will of God in my own strength. Lord, I need you to show me what you want me to do. He will do the work. You're just the vessel of clay. You're not the think tank. You're just the vessel of clay, but he'll use you to do things for his glory. Zechariah 4, 6. We'll leave this event and this chapter and this thought with Zechariah 4, 6. If you're desiring the will of God for your life, which I hope that is your primary desire in life, you don't have to try to scheme to make it happen, but you do have to remember this. Zechariah 4, 6. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel had a big task. They had to finish building the city wall in Jerusalem and the temple and had to do it in the presence of their enemies who didn't want to see that done. And so that's a pretty big task. It's God's will. It's going to lead to his blessing. How do I get it done? Well, I need to figure this out. No, Zerubbabel, it's not by might. It's not by an army. It's not by power, not your power, not your intelligence, but it's by the Spirit of God. He'll give you the wisdom you need for the decisions that need to be made for you to have God's best. And again, Jacob's going to learn that, but he didn't apply those principles in this case. Now let's go on to chapter 26, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. This is going to sound eerily familiar, but this is Isaac's experience. Genesis 26, 1 to 11. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Now this is most likely, because this is, I think, about 90 years later than Abraham's experience with Abimelech. This is a different Abimelech. And again, the, some believe that the, the name Abimelech was just a title. And so this is a, a different man, uh, most likely. And in verse 2, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. Notice the blessings that were given to Abraham are now being uh, passed down to Isaac. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is also part of Jacob's birthright that he understood this was part of what that birthright was all about. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, this is an interesting passage because the law of Moses obviously had not been given yet. That's later 
down. But clearly, God had revealed to Abraham many of the standards of what's right and wrong and had revealed his will in many different ways. Abraham knew that, and he's passed it down to Isaac, and Isaac will pass it down to Jacob. And in verse 6, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. In other words, he obeyed the command. Because of the famine, he was ready to go to Egypt to try to save his family. God said, don't go. And so he obeyed. So Isaac, again, is certainly to be commended for this act of faith. And the men of the place asked about his wife. Oh, here we go again. And he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, and notice it says clearly, he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, (laughs) she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. This chapter sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Abraham went through almost the identical testing of of his faith. And now it's time for Isaac's faith to be tested. And he passes the first test. Don't run to Egypt. Stay here. He obeyed. And when we consider the faith, as well as the failures of the Old Testament worthies of faith, we need to make sure that we keep a scriptural balance when we are judging them, when we are considering both their their successes as well as their failures, so that we understand them in the light of the light that they had, the truth that they knew at the time. We need to maintain that balance, not to judge them according to what we know in this New Testament age, but what they knew of the will of God in that time in which they lived. That's how God was going to judge them. And so we must do the same. We, we can't be too harsh on their failures. Uh, we can't consider them scoundrels and complete failures because then we would deny what God says about them, that these were men and women of faith that had entered into many of the promises that were given to them in their lifetime, and those that were promised to come through them are yet to be fulfilled. And so these were not men and women of of failure. They were men and women of faith. So there's that balance, but we need to also be careful not to overlook their failures because we know they are men and women of faith. And that's what a lot of people have done. And I think in in doing that, we miss the lessons that God wants to teach us, that these were not perfect individuals. They didn't start out perfect, and they didn't even end up perfect, but they daily learn to live by faith, and we can do the same. But we can't make excuses for our failures any more than we can make excuses for those. Isaac feared for his life. Now, God told him to stay in, in uh, the land of Canaan because God would obviously take care of him. He, he couldn't have descendants that were so multiplied like the stars in the sands if God let him die of hunger in, in Canaan. 
And so Isaac had enough faith to believe God. Okay, I'm not going to die because God told me to stay. But if if that's true, don't you think he's also able to keep you from being killed from someone who wants your wife? He lacked faith there. He should have trusted God. He will protect me. What, No matter who my enemies are, whether it be starvation or the king of, of the Philistines, he will protect me to be able to do the will of God and to, for the will of God to be done in me and through me. And so that's a lesson that, that we, can, we can learn from this passage. Another lesson that we can learn is Abraham went through the exact same test. Isaac should have probably learned from that. I'm sure his dad told him about it. And we need to learn that our trials, as, as hard as they seem, we need to understand that others have gone through it as well. And when they've learned to trust God, they've come out on the other side. And that's something that we need to be aware of. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. We'll close with this tonight. Remember, when you're going through times of suffering, whether it be emotional, physical, relationships, all the trials that you are going through, God's people have experienced before. Nothing's new. Now, obviously, when it's us, it's more real. It's more personal. And there's always some individual details that may change a little bit. But, but the basic trials that we go through, everyone has gone through. Someone has gone through before. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Isaac should have known that God rebuked Abraham for his plan, his scheme, and God made it clear, I'll protect you. In fact, I'm going to send a dream to Abimelech in, in Abraham's case, and he's going to know that I'm God, and he, he's not to touch you or your wife. God was able to do that apart from Abraham's plan. And the sad thing about when Abraham and Isaac both tried to protect themselves out of fear rather than trust God, it brought reproach from, from the ungodly. Abimelech rebukes him, and th that, that's not a good testimony. That's not what God wants. And so we need to remember the same thing when we go through trials, that God has taken care of his own. How is it the psalmist says, I'm young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. We need to take encouragement from that. When it's you, it's deep, it's personal, it's different. Yeah, I read about this trial and this situation, and I know someone has a testimony about this, but man, this is me. But it's the same God. He will be faithful in your trial as well. And so let's remember that when we go through the difficulties of life. We'll stop there tonight.